0: CHAPTER Twenty Four, THE EDUCATION OF ALWYN. THE QUEST OF THE SILVER FLEECE BY W. E. B. Du Bois, RECORDED BY A. J. HILTON. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. Miss Caroline Wynn of Washington had little faith in the world and its people, nor was this wholly her fault the world had dealt cruelly with the young dreams and youthful ambitions of the girl partly with its usual heartlessness partly with that cynical and deadening reserve fund which it has to-day for its darker peoples the girl had bitterly resented her experiences at first she was brilliant and well trained she had a real talent for sculpture and had studied considerably she was sprung from at least three generations of respectable mulattoes who had left a little competence which yielded her three or four hundred dollars a year furthermore while not precisely pretty she was good-looking and interesting and she had acquired the marks and insignia of good breeding perhaps she wore her manners just a trifle consciously perhaps she was a little morbid that she would fail of recognition as a lady nor was this unnatural her brown skin invited a different assumption Despite this almost unconscious mental aggressiveness, she was unusually presentable and always well-groomed and pleasant of speech. Yet she found nearly all careers closed to her. At first it seemed accidental, the luck of life. Then she attributed it to her sex. But at last she was sure that, beyond chance and womanhood, it was the color line that was hemming her in. Once convinced of this, she let her imagination play and saw the line even where it did not exist with her bit of property and brilliant parts she had had many suitors but they had been refused one after another for reasons she could hardly have explained for years now tom tearswell had been her escort whether or not caroline wynne would ever marry him was a perennial subject of speculation among her friends and it usually ended in the verdict that she could not afford it that it was financially impossible nevertheless the two were usually seen in public together and although she often showed her quiet mastery of the situation seldom had she snubbed him so openly as at the treble clef concert tearswell was furious and began to plot vengeance but miss wynne was attracted by the personality of bless alwyn southern country negroes were rare in her set but here was a man of intelligence and keenness coupled with an amazing frankness and modesty and perceptibility shadowed by sorrow. The combination was, so far as she had observed, both rare and temporary, and she was disposed to watch it in this case purely as a matter of intellectual curiosity. At the door of her home, therefore, after a walk of unusual interest, she said, I'm going to have a few friends in next Tuesday night. Won't you come, mister Alwyn? And mister Alwyn said that he would. Next morning Miss Wynne rather repented her hasty invitation. But, of course, nothing could be done now. Nothing? Well, there was one thing, and she went to the telephone. A suggestion to Bless that he might profitably extend his acquaintance sent him to a certain tailor shop kept by a friend of hers. A word to the tailor guarded against the least suspicion of intrigue entering Bless's head. It turned out quite as Miss Wynn had designed. Mr. Gray, the tailor, gave Bless some points on dressing, and made him, southern fashion, a frock-coat for dress-wear that set off his fine figure on the night of the gathering at miss wynne's Bless, dressed with care hesitating long over a necktie but at last choosing one which he had recently purchased and which pleased him particularly he was prompt to the minute and was consequently the first guest but miss wynne's greeting was so quietly cordial that his embarrassment soon fled she looked him over at leisure and sighed at his tie Otherwise, he was thoroughly presentable, according to the strictest Washington standard. They sat down and talked of generalities. Then an idea occurring to her, she conducted the conversation by devious paths to ties and asked Alwyn if he had heard of the fad of collecting ties. He had not, and she showed him a sofa pillow. Your tie quite attracted me, she said. It would make just the dash of color I need in my new pillow. You may have it, and welcome i'll send oh no a bird in the hand you know i'll trade you now for another i have done the exchange was soon made miss wynne tying the new one herself and sticking a small carved pin in it bless slowly sat down again and after a pause said thank you she looked up quickly but he seemed quite serious and good-natured you see he explained in the country we don't know much about ties. The well-balanced Miss Wynne for a moment lost her aplomb, but only for a moment. We must all learn, she replied with penetration, and so their friendship was established. The company now began to gather, and soon the double parlor held an assemblage of twenty-five or thirty persons. They formed a picturesque group, conventional but graceful in dress, animated in movement, full of good-natured laughter, but quite un-American in the beautiful modulation of their speaking tones chiefly noticeable, however, to a stranger, in the vast variety of color and skin which imparted to the throng a piquant and unusual interest. Every color was here, from the dark brown of Alwyn, who was customarily accounted black, to the pale pink-white of Miss Jones, who could pass for white when she would, and found her greatest difficulties when she was trying to pass for black. Midway between these two extremes lay the sallow pastor of the church, the creamy Miss Williams, the golden yellow of Mr. Tearswell, the golden brown of Miss Johnson, and the velvet brown of Mr. Gray. The guests themselves did not notice this. They were used to asking one's color as one asks of height and weight. It was simply an extra dimension in their world whereby to classify men. Beyond this and their hair, there was little to distinguish them from a modern group of men and women. The speech was a softened English, purely and, on the whole, correctly spoken, so much so that it seemed, at first, almost unfamiliar to bless, and he experienced again the uncomfortable feeling of being among strangers. Then, too, he missed the loud but hearty good nature of what he had always called his people." To be sure, a more experienced observer might have noted a lively, excitable, tropical temperament set and cast in a cold northern mold, and yet flashing fire now and then in a sudden anomalous outbursting. But Bless missed this. He seemed to have slipped and lost his bearings, and the characteristics of his simple world were rolling curiously about. Here stood a black man with a white man's voice, and yonder a white woman with a negro's musical cadences, and yet again a brown girl with exactly Miss Cresswell's air, and yonder Miss Williams with Zora's wistful wilfulness. Bless was bewildered and silent, and his great undying sorrow sank on his heart with sickening hopeless weight. His hands got in the way, and he found no natural nook in all those wide and tastefully furnished rooms. Once he discovered himself standing by a marble statue of a nude woman, and he edged away, Then he stumbled over a rug and saved himself only to step on Miss Jones' silken train. Miss Jones' smile of pardon was wintry. When he did approach a group and listen, they seemed speaking of things foreign to him, usually of people he did not know, their homes, their doings, their daughters and their fathers. They seemed to know people intimately who lived far away. "'You mean the Smiths of Boston?' asked Miss Jones. "'No, of Cleveland. They're not related.' I heard that McGee of St. Paul will be in the city next week with his daughter. Yes, and the Bentleys of Chicago. Bless passed on. He was disappointed. He was full of things to say, of mighty matters to discuss. He felt like stopping these people and crying, Oh, what of the morning? How goes the great battle for black men's rights? I have came with messages from the host to you who guard the mountaintops. Apparently they were not discussing or caring about the problem. He grew disgusted and was edging toward the door when he encountered his hostess. "'Is all well with you, Mr. Alwyn?' she asked lightly. "'No, I'm not enjoying myself,' said Bless truthfully. "'Delicious! And why not?' he regarded her earnestly. "'There are so many things to talk about,' he said. "'Earnest things, things of importance. I—I think when our people—' he hesitated. "'Our? Was our right?' But he went on. When our people meet, we ought to talk about our situation and what to do And Miss Wynne continued to smile. We're all talking of it all the time, she said. He looked incredulous. Yes, we are, she insisted. We veil it a little and laugh as lightly as we can. But there is only one thought in this room, and that's grave and serious enough to suit even you and quite your daily topic. But I don't understand. Ah, there's the rub. "'You haven't learned our language yet. "'We don't just blurt into the Negro problem. "'That's voted bad form. "'We'll leave that to our white friends. "'We saunter to it sideways. "'Touch it delicately because...' "'Her face became a little graver. "'Because, you see, it hurts.' "'Bless stood thoughtful and abashed. "'I... I think I understand,' he gravely said at last. "'Come here,' she said with a sudden turn, "'and they joined an absorbed group in the midst of a conversation.' Thinking of sending Jessie to Bryn Mawr? Bless heard Miss Jones saying. Could she pass? Oh, they might think her Spanish. But it's a snobbish place, and she would have to give up all her friends. Yes, Freddie could scarcely visit. The rest was lost. Which, being interpreted, whispered Miss Wynn, means that Bryn Maw draws the color line while we at times surmounted.' They moved on to another group. Splendid draughtsmen, a man was saying and passed at the head of the crowd but of course he has no chance why it's civil service isn't it it is but what of that there was watson miss Wynne did not pause she whispered this is the tale of civil service reform and how this mighty government gets rid of black men who know too much but bless tried to protest hush miss Wynne commanded and they joined the group about the piano Tearswell, who was speaking, affected not to notice them and continued, I tell you, it's got to come. We must act independently and not be bought by a few offices. That's all well enough for you to talk, Tearswell. You have no wife and babies dependent on you. Why should we, who have, sacrifice the substance for the shadow? <laughs> you see, the judge has got the substance, laughed Tearswell. Still, I insist divide and conquer. "'Nonsense! Unite and keep!' Bless was puzzled. "'They're talking of the coming campaign,' said Miss Wynne. "'What?' exclaimed Bless aloud. "'You don't mean that anyone can advise a black man to vote the Democratic ticket!' An elderly man turned to them. "'Thank you, sir,' he said. "'That is just my attitude. I fought for my freedom. I know what slavery is. May I forget God when I vote for traitors and slaveholders.' The discussion waxed warm, and Miss Wynne turned away and sought Miss Jones. Come, my dear, she said. It's the problem again. They sauntered away toward a ring of laughter. The discussion thus begun at Miss Wynne's did not end there. It was on the eve of the great party conventions, and the next night Sam Stillings came around to get some crumbs from this assembly of the inner circle into which Alwyn had been so unaccountably snatched and outside of which, despite his endeavors, Stillings lingered and seemed destined to linger. But Stillings was a patient, resolute man beneath his deferential exterior, and he saw in Bless a stepping stone. So he began to drop in at his lodgings, and tonight invited him to the Bethel Literary. What's that? asked Bless. Uh, the debating club, oldest in the city, the best people all attend. Bless hesitated. He had half made up his mind that this was the proper time to call on Miss Wynne. He told Stillings so and told him also of the evening and the discussion. Why, that's the subject up tonight, Stillings declared, and Miss Wynne will be sure to be there. You can make your call later. Perhaps you wouldn't mind taking me when you call. Alwyn reached for his hat. When they arrived, the basement of the great church was filling with a throng of men and women soon the officers and the speaker of the evening appeared the president was a brown woman who spoke easily and well and introduced the main speaker he was a tall thin hatchet-faced black man clean-shaven and well dressed a lawyer by profession his theme was the democratic party and the negro his argument was cool carefully reasoned and plausible he was evidently feeling for the sympathy of his audience and while they were not enthusiastic they warmed to him gradually and he certainly was strongly impressing them bless was thinking he sat in the back of the hall tense alert nervous as the speaker progressed a white man came in and sat down beside him he was spectacled with bushy eyebrows and a sleepy look but he did not sleep he was very observant who's speaking he asked bless and bless told him then he inquired about one or two other persons bless could not inform him but stillings could and did stilling seemed willing to devote considerable time to him bless forgot the man he was almost crouching for a spring and no sooner had the speaker with a really fine apostrophe to independence and reason in voting sat down than bless was on his feet walking forward his form was commanding his voice deep and musical and his earnestness terribly evident he hardly waited for recognition from the slightly astonished president but fairly burst into speech i am from alabama he began earnestly and i know the democratic party then he told of government and conditions in the black belt of the lying oppression and helplessness of the sodden black masses then turning he reminded them of the history of slavery finally he pointed to lincoln's picture and to sumner's and mentioned other white friends and my brothers they are not all dead yet the gentleman spoke of senator smith and blamed and ridiculed him i know senator smith but slightly but i do know his sister well dropping to simple narrative he told of miss smith and of his coming to school and if his audience felt that great depth of emotion that welled beneath his quiet almost hesitating address it was not simply because of what he did say but because too of the unspoken story that lay too deep for words he spoke for nearly an hour, and when he stopped, for a moment his hearer sighed, and then sprang into a whirlwind of applause. They shouted, clapped, and waved while he sat in blank amazement, and was with difficulty forced to the rostrum to bow again and again. The spectacled white man leaned over to Stillings. "'Who is he?' he asked. Stillings told him. The man noted the name, and went quietly out. Miss Wynne sat lost in thought and Tearswell beside her fumed she was not easily moved but that speech had moved her if he could thus stir men and not be himself swayed she mused he would be invincible but to-night he was moved as greatly as his hearers had been and that was dangerous if his intense belief happened to be popular all right but if not she frowned he was worth watching she concluded quite worth watching and perhaps worth guiding when alwyn accompanied her home that night miss wynne set herself to know him better for she suspected that he might be a coming man the best preliminary to her purpose was she knew to speak frankly of herself and that she did she told him of her youth and training her ambitions her disappointments quite unconsciously her cynicism crept to the fore until in word and tone she had almost scoffed at many things that alwyn held true and dear the touch was too light the meaning too elusive for alwyn to grasp always the point of attack but somehow he got the distant impression that miss wynne had little faith in truth and goodness and love vaguely shocked he grew so silent that she noticed it and concluded she had said too much but he pursued the subject surely there must be many friends of our race willing to stand for the right and sacrifice for it she laughed unpleasantly almost mockingly where well there's miss smith she gets a salary doesn't she a very small one about as large as she could earn north i don't doubt but the unselfish work she does the utter sacrifice oh well we'll omit alabama and admit the exception well here in washington there's your friend the judge who has befriended you so as you admit she laughed again you remember our visit to senator smith yes well it got the judge his reappointment to the school board he deserved it didn't he i deserved it she said luxuriously hugging her knee and smiling you see his appointment meant mine well what of it didn't listen she cut in a little sharply once a young brown girl with boundless faith in white folks went to a judge's office to ask for an appointment which she deserved there was no one there the benign old judge with his saintly face and white hair suggested she lay aside her wraps and spend the afternoon bless arose to his feet what what did you do he asked sit down there's a good boy i said judge a friend is expecting me at two it was then half-past one would i not best telephone step right into the booth said the judge quite indulgently miss wynne leaned back and bless felt his heart sinking but he said nothing and then she continued i telephoned the judge's wife that he was anxious to see her on a matter of urgent business namely my appointment she gazed reflectively out of the window you should have seen his face when i told him she concluded i was appointed but bless asked coldly why didn't you have him arrested for what and suppose i had bless threw out his arms helplessly oh it isn't as bad as that all over the world is it it's worse affirmed miss wynn quietly positive positive. and you are still friendly with him what would you have i used the world i did not make it i did not choose it he is the world through him i earn my bread and butter i have shown him his place shall i try in addition to reform shall i make him an enemy i have neither time nor inclination shall i resign and beg or go tilting at windmills if he were the only one it would be different but they're all alike her face grew hard have i shocked you she said as they went toward the door no he answered slowly but i still believe in the world you are young yet my friend she lightly replied and besides that good miss smith has gone and grafted a new england conscience on a tropical heart and dear me but it's a gorgeous misfit good-bye come again she bowed him graciously out and paused to take the mail from the box there was among many others a letter from senator smith end of CHAPTER twenty four